Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 30, we are reading of the Passover events, the institution of the Passover and the death of the firstborn in the 10th plague. So let us now hear God's word from Exodus 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they, then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled it all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house, houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, in all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. 
For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land, which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. This is the very word of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and let us go to the Lord in prayer now. Our God and and Father, you are the God of redemption. Uh, You are the God who powerfully redeems your people and and shows your mercy. Uh, And we desire to know, know you better this evening, to know your mercy, to know the severity of your judgments, and in all of this to be reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, this evening, brothers and sisters, we come to one of the mountain summits of God's revelation in the Old Testament. I like to think of parts of the Bible as peaks and summits that you can reach in terms of their importance, their foundational nature, and the way that they teach us about God's ways and who God is and his way of redemption in particular. We know that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and all of Scripture is profitable for us. But I do believe it's fair to say that there are some passages in Scripture that have a special importance. And the Passover event is one of those important passages. It is a a chapter and it is an event that teaches us how God redeems his people. Of course, it comes in the form of a particular historical event with particular Uh, in a particular time and place, but there are realities about this event that are repeated in the ways of God's redemption for his people. There are parallels to other events, as we know, in the scriptures. It is one of those Old Testament passages that reveals with a unique and shining clarity the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news of our Lord. We know that it's a, a prefiguring of his redeeming work for us, Paul very much uh, connects these together when in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, speaking of the, the Lord's Supper and the Christian community, he says, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 
So it's clear that Paul wants us to see immediately the importance of the Passover and the fact that our Lord Jesus is our Passover. He is the Passover lamb that has been sacrificed for us. And one of the implications was that even the the unleavened bread component of the feast was meant to be applied not literally so much as in a spiritual way to the cleansing of sin and malice from the people of God. So it's clearly a very important event. Now, if you want to get another sense for how important this event is for God's people, did you notice that this event becomes the calendar-defining moment for God's people? In fact, the entire calendar is set up around this. At the beginning of our passage, it says, This shall be the beginning of your months. Your calendar will now be defined by my redemption. That is how important this event was. They were to view their entire lives and their entire year, every year, in light of what God had done for them. It was to be remembered. It was to be celebrated year after year. So this is another way in which we see how important uh, this particular event is. Now, because this passage is so uh, long this evening, I'm only going to selectively cover three topics. And there are many other topics I could probably pull out of this passage. Um, In the next part of chapter 12, and even into chapter 13, there's more instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. So we'll have more opportunity to keep delving into this. But I'm going to selectively give you three topics that emerge from the Passover event that are important. And there's a degree to which they're, uh, they are picked out from amongst many others, but these are the ones I've chosen for us this evening. So here are the three. I'll list them for you, and then we'll begin going through them. Number one, the Passover lamb was a substitutionary redemption. It was a substitutionary redemption. That, that particular word takes a little bit to spell out. Substitutionary. Very important word for us. Number two, the Passover was a call to holy consecration to the Lord. To put it more simply, it was an event that, as it was observed year after year, was designed to remind the people that they were the holy people of the Lord. They were set apart unto the Lord. And we'll see one of the ways that that happens in our passage. And then the third point that I want to look at is... The Passover was to be remembered faithfully. It was an event of remembrance, of course, as we see in our passage. So let's look at the first topic this evening, that the Passover lamb was a substitutionary redemption. And we'll see in verses 1 through 4 how this is. And it said in verses 1 through 4, beginning in verse 3 actually, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So the Passover event and its continuing commemoration centered around the death of a lamb. It was a meal, of course. They killed the lamb and they would partake of the meat of the lamb. But the blood of the lamb would be then placed, of course, on the doorposts and at the top of the door and on the sides of the door as a covering for the household. You'll notice that this was a a household redemption. 
the whole household was involved in this. And it was important that uh, everybody would be within a house. Now, why was it important to be in a house? Well, the house was what was covered. Uh, you, you could not be outdoors when this event happened. You needed to be inside. And you needed to be inside a home with others covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now, this is one of the many examples of the household principle in Scripture that God was saving families uh, together as they partook of the Passover meal. It's important to note in connection with the Lord's Supper that the original Passover meal was a household meal and that every single member of the family partook, right? We know that in the original Passover, there was no exclusion by age or understanding. I think that's clear. Everybody can admit that no matter what your position is on Pado communion or credo communion. Everybody was partaking here. Nobody was excluded from the meal. We can talk more about the implications for that. We do know that the scriptures uh, do give us uh, a number of different feasts, and some were uh, not, rec- not everybody was required to partake of all the feasts. We know in Deuteronomy 16, for example, that the men were called three times a year to come up for the festival. Otherwise, it could sometimes be a hardship for the whole family to make it for all the festivals. But regardless of those other examples, it is clear that the original Passover meal was a a, a meal that the whole household was involved in, and the whole household experienced the redemption that God had provided. No kids were left out in the cold, of course. Now, as I said, the Passover teaches us the principle of substitutionary redemption, and that That word, that long word with a lot of syllables is important for us because it teaches us one of the most essential truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is that there is a sacrifice that is provided on our behalf in our place. That was what the Lamb did for the people of God. It says in verse 22 of our passage, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now, now, kids, imagine this Passover night. Imagine that you are in the house, you've had the meal, and you're going to bed. Now, uh, you've been told about what's going to happen. What would you be thinking? Have you been looking out the windows, wondering and watching? What, where's that angel of the Lord? Where's the destroyer going to come? And, and, but your parents had told you, you're safe. We are safe. And why? And, they, and the parents would explain to you, Look at the doorpost. There's, there's blood on it. It's covering the doorpost, and the blood will protect us. And that is the very picture of our redemption in Jesus Christ as well. When we ask, why is it that we're saved? Why is it that we're safe from the judgment of God? Why doesn't God's judgment fall upon us? Why are our sins forgiven? And the answer is, the blood of the Lamb covers us frees us from that judgment that would come upon us. But you know that the Egyptians did not have this. They did not have covering. They did not have blood upon their doorposts. They were completely unshielded from the judgments of God. What a tragic thing to be an Egyptian in this case. 
They had no atonement. They had no substitutionary redemption. They had no means of escape. And that is the reality for anybody in the present time that is not covered by the blood of the Lamb. They have no protection from the judgment that they deserve and that will fall upon them unless they find safety through Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and takes away our sin and protects us and delivers us and our households when we trust in him. Now as we come to the pages of the New Testament, we know that Jesus is repeatedly identified as that substitute, that one who takes our place or who dies on our behalf. Now there's so many parallels between our Lord Jesus and the Passover uh, celebration. I want to list just six parallels that are observable here between the Passover event and our Lord Jesus. The first parallel is that the Passover sacrifice was a lamb. And of course, Jesus is called in the New Testament, the Lamb of God. That's the first one. Number two, the lamb was to be a male of the first year. And while we can't say Jesus was a male of the first year, we can say that it was in the prime of his life uh, as a young man, we might say even, that he indeed was sacrificed as well. Number three, the lamb was to be without blemish. And of course, Jesus is described as our sinless sacrifice, the one who had no sin in his mouth and who had done no wrong. That's the third, he was without blemish. The fourth, the lamb was to be prepared four days in advance for the sacrifice. And so also Jesus entered into Jerusalem four days in advance of the Passover on the day that the Paschal lamb was prepared. Number five, the lamb was slain and roasted with fire unto death. And so also Christ, our, our lamb, was sacrificed and died on our behalf. He really did die on the cross. Number six, the lamb was to have none of its bones broken. And we are told in the gospel of John that none of Jesus's bones were broken either and that it was to fulfill prophecy that none of his bones would be broken. So that gives you just a, a sense of some of the parallels that exist here between the Passover event and our Lord's death. Now as we go into the New Testament, we, we know some of the instances where our Lord is described as that substitute on our behalf. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, the very first way in which John the Baptist introduced our Savior was with what words? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the first thing that John the Baptist wanted his disciples to know about Jesus. Now, what do you think if you're a Jewish person who has observed the Passover year after year and you hear that he's the Lamb of God who takes away sin, you're going to immediately start thinking of the Passover. It's inevitable that you would draw that connection and you would be right to draw it. Going on in, in the writings of Peter, Peter in 1 Peter 3.18 gives us one of the most uh, simple and concise descriptions of substitutionary redemption that we find. 1 Peter 3.18, Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. That's a very important word, brothers and sisters, that word for, that Jesus died for us. And we could simply also translate it as on our behalf, in our place. 
as we sing, in our place condemned he stood rather than us. And so that is what our Lord Jesus does for us. He, he takes our place. He steps in where we otherwise would have to face that judgment and he provides that sacrifice for us. Thanks be to God that, that we are saved through the provision of another, a righteous one, the Lamb of God, the spotless one who takes our place. Now next we, we come to the second topic the Passover was a holy was a call to holy consecration to the Lord. And so the, the feasts in the Old Testament would function as a reminder to God's people that they were his people, that they were a holy people, that they were set apart from all the other nations of the earth. And I think every feast in some way or another was a reminder of this truth. When God redeems his people and sets them free, he, he places them under his lordship. And when we are redeemed, we're placed under the lordship of God, and then we are called to be his people. We are to live for him and under him. And we see that, of course, in the Ten Commandments at the introduction. The Lord begins by saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Another way of putting that is, you shall be my people Holy, set apart, unlike any other of the nations of the earth, you will worship me alone. And the principle of holy consecration or holy setting apart is found in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we'll get into more uh, detail here in the weeks to come with the det- more details about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But we should note that these instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread they actually didn't do any of these things yet. That's kind of the interesting thing that hadn't occurred to me in the past. The Passover happened. The Feast of Unleavened Bread wasn't happening right now. That would happen as they entered the land, as, as they got further along. These instructions were for that particular time. As they, were, they didn't have time to do the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they had their sandals on and their things together, and they were ready to go. They were, they were leaving right away after Pharaoh released them. But these principles for the ongoing observance of the feast are provided in great detail for God's people. And one of the ways that that holy setting apart of God's people happens is in verse 16. Notice that part of the observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which happened immediately following the Passover night, was these these meetings. And they were called holy convocations. A convocation is just a meeting. That's what we do on Sunday whenever we get together, we convocate. We assemble for worship. That's all that convocation means. And it's called a holy convocation. It's a holy meeting because we are gathering to worship a holy God as his holy people. And there were actually additional days of rest that were part of this feast. We, we have, of course, the ordinary weekly Sabbath, uh, the day of rest that was every week, but this festival had special Sabbaths. They had to come together and they had to rest on the first day and on the seventh day. These were special gatherings, special meetings of God's people to celebrate what he had done. Now, I think this is a reminder for us that why is it, why is it that God gives us holy days? Or more precisely, if we're you know, faithful to the teaching of the New Testament, the holy day the Lord's day, why does he give us a day 
that is set apart for his worship? Why does he define time as something that's actually part of his law, part of his commands for us? Well, the fact that we set apart time on the Lord's Day for the worship of God is to remind us that there is a priority in our lives, and it is a priority above all other priorities, which is that we exist to worship our great God. We exist to glorify him and to find joy in his presence. God is worthy of all of our time, and he has determined that one day especially shall be the day that we focus in a special manner on his worship, not to the exclusion, of course, of worship on the other days as well. And every day we gather in the public worship, or every Sunday as we gather in the public worship of God, we are told, we are reminded of who we are. We are God's holy people. We are set apart to be God's special possession. We are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light to proclaim his excellencies. That is what he has redeemed us for. And next we come to the final topic. The Passover was to be remembered faithfully, and to be a means of teaching as well to the children in the next generation. Look at Exodus 12, verses 24 through 27. And this is anticipating when they would enter the land. What would they do to teach the the children in the next generation about God's works? It says, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by the service that you shall say? It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So this became a perpetual way of remembering and teaching what God had done. We see how much of a priority it is to our God that we are called to remembrance of what he has done. Time and time again in scripture, the Lord calls his people to remember. You can find so many psalms, of course, about remembrance. And and often they're tied to remembering these redemptive events. You think of Psalm 78 and Psalm 106. We are called to remember what God has done. And why is it that there's such an insistence on remembrance I think the reason that there is such an insistence upon remembrance is that we are very much at risk of forgetting. The Lord, in the wisdom of giving his word, has so shaped his word as to make sure that our spiritual spiritual risks or our spiritual proclivities, we might say, to forgetfulness will be remedied by his truth and by remembering that truth. And so God has given this feast, as well as the rest of the teaching of his word that records these things, as a way of combating our spiritual dementia, which can set upon us at any time. You don't have to be an old person to have spiritual dementia. It's a a risk. All of us have a risk factor for spiritual dementia at any age of our Christian lives. And of course, in the same way, the Lord's Supper helps us remember, doesn't it? What do we say every time as we come together? We, we quote the words of our Lord Jesus, this do in remembrance of me. 
That's what he said, as often as you drink it, in 1 Corinthians 11, in do this in remembrance of me. Now someone might wonder, any of us could wonder, or some visitor coming in could wonder, why does this church week after week do exactly the same thing taking the Lord's Supper? Haven't people gotten the point? I mean, why do we keep doing this? We space it out a little bit. Of course, there are churches that space it out quite a bit. But somebody on the outside might think, this is really repetitive. And granted, as we we bring the Lord's Supper every week, we seek to bring new angles to our understanding of these things. We bring out the scriptures. We seek to teach to all the facets of the diamond of the gospel of Christ and, and point these things out. But it's true that we do the same thing. We say the same words of institution. We pass out the same elements. And somebody might think, this is really repetitive. Well, that question does, I think, reveal a misunderstanding. Well, for one thing, we can say we don't merely take the Lord's Supper to remember. We have to to point out, of course, that the Lord's Supper is a means of fellowship. It is a communion of the body and blood of Christ. So it's not only to remember that we do it. We are fellowshipping with our Lord. We are in union with one another. So that's one thing. But the question reveals uh, reveals an assumption. And the assumption is that we don't need reminding so often. I think the fact is, we need more reminders than we perhaps realize we do at times. We are at risk of spiritual forgetfulness without God's word right before us at all times. And the Lord's Supper, as this visual, sensible sign, is a powerful reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Now, I wonder if, if you all can relate to this risk of forgetfulness. Can you relate to this as a problem in any of our lives? I must say that every week presents dangers for me. I can easily lose sight of Christ's redemption. I can get forgetful of who I am now as a redeemed child of God. And let's remember that the world around us is not helpful in remembering the works of God, right? It's not assisting us in keeping our focus attuned to the right things. You're living in a culture that is attempting to suppress God's truth. Do you think that that, that they're going to help you remember God's works? They're trying to make you forget God's works. That's the whole point of the, the way things have been set up. And so we need all the reminders we can get, brothers and sisters. We need these things set before us. Every time we gather for worship, for Bible study, for prayer, for mutual encouragement, or for the Lord's Supper, I can assure you that it is not time wasted. There are plenty of things out there that could truly be called time wasters. We could make a really long list of time wasters, but I can assure you that time with the saints, hearing the word of God, praying together, partaking of the Lord's Supper, is not time wasted for you. You you should never have to say, there's an hour I'll never get back of my life. It's gone forever, as you know, people sometimes say of time wasted. This is not time wasted. And that is because we need the reminders, and that is what exactly the Passover was designed to do, was to remind God's people. And so, therefore, brothers and sisters, I'm calling us to remember the Lamb of God, to appreciate him, to, to know what he has done for us this evening, and then to celebrate that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And let us also then be faithful to the mandate of the Passover, which was to pass it on to our children. 
Let us be faithful to tell them what Jesus has done. When they ask of the Lord's Supper, what what does this mean? We tell them, well, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And as you partake by faith, the sacrifice is what covers you as well. And so this becomes then the means by which we teach the faith as well and pass it on to the next generation. So let us give thanks to the Lord and let us close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for what you have taught us through the Passover this evening and that we are safe through the blood of the Lamb. We are redeemed by our Lord Jesus. Uh, We thank you for what you've done and we ask that our time this night would be a means of remembrance and directing our gaze back uh, to what you've done. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.